Right now on Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast, we're about to meet the Managing Director of JB Barry and Partners, Liam Prendeville. I see engineers as somebody who sees a problem and their, their instinct is to look forward as to this is the problem, how are we going to resolve it, how do we move forward? My name is Dusty Rhodes and you're welcome to Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast, where we speak with our community of creative professionals across the country about how engineers are delivering sustainable solutions for society, both now and in the future. Today, we're chatting with a man who has seen many changes in the industry over the past few decades and is looking ahead to the future and planning for what's next as well. From JB Barry and Partners, one of Ireland's leading consulting engineers in civil, environmental, structural and transportation engineering, it's a pleasure to welcome Managing Director Liam Prendeville. How are you doing, Liam? I'm doing great, Dusty. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me to do this podcast. You've enjoyed a very long and successful career with uh, JB Barry. Looking back at your time, not, not as Managing Director, but looking back at your time when you were kind of very hands-on as a senior engineer, were there any particular projects or problems that you solve that kind of still give you satisfaction to this day? Just we spend our time solving problems that at the time seemed very big, but they all drift into history and they're all, they're all resolved. I suppose if I was to pick a project or a period, I, I worked overseas for a number of years in the late 90s, and when the road program kicked off in the early 2000s, uh, we got involved in the main interurban motorway projects with the NRA, And we did some very interesting and innovative projects, both in terms of the projects themselves and in the way that they were formulated and contracted. If I was to pick one project, I'd say Cashel to Mitchellstown Motorway was an innovative project. And what what was the problem there? I suppose if there's anything unusual about that particular stretch of road is that it runs very close to the Galtee Mountains. And that generates a drainage issue because you get runoff quite quickly off very steep slopes and you have to be able to deal with that and you have to design for that. But the the, the really innovative thing on the Cashel to Mitchellstown scheme was that it was developed as an early contractor involvement type scheme, which is a slightly different procurement method than was used in the past or is used since. It takes the confrontational aspect to some degree out of the contractual relationship between the contractor and the client. Okay, and how had it been done before? Previously, um, schemes were, were were designed up to a certain level, a specimen design, and it's issued out to four or five contractors to tender it uh, post getting planning from onboard Planola. Historically, the lowest bid won the job and they were contracted and then you moved from there. So that, that's fine and it's a well-used method. But in early contractor involvement, you involve the contractor earlier at the pre-planning stage. So they have input in the planning stage. So you get more constructability built into your design. And the contractual arrangement is on a a cost plus basis. So you don't get that confrontation, financial confrontation that you get in normal contracts that can lead to difficult issues. And is that not running these days? It doesn't run that way anymore. No, that uh, early contractor involvement process was used on Cashel to Mitchellstown, and it may have been used on one or two other projects, but the the process reverted then back to uh, design and build 
uh, formal contracts for roads and, and other uh, formal contracts. The, the new government formal contract was introduced in 2007-2008 and that was put into use post Cashel to Mitchellstown. So then thinking about Cashel uh, to Mitchellstown, what were the constraints? What were the physical constraints that you had to work with? Well, the, the, the physical constraints are relatively repetitive in road schemes uh, at the time. And I suppose, I, I think if you if you look at the broader picture, at the time we were developing hundreds of kilometres of motorway uh, over a period of 10 years. So all the uh, requirements in terms of people and plant and equipment were all there and were used on an ongoing basis. And all the, all the skills of uh, design and construction were, were well practised. And, and that's a very efficient way of of rolling projects off and it reduces the risk because all the risks have been met on previous contracts and have been ironed out. So you get a flow and that's why the NRA, they really did a very good job in developing their project management processes and in the achievement of building the, the motorways, the main interurbans in the period from 2000 to 2010 is a, was a, a fantastic achievement. Do you think it's right, though, for Ireland as a country with the transport, the way it's set up, that all of these motorways tend to just converge on the capital? Uh, absolutely not. It's stage one of a, a multi-stage development of the island. You know, you, you have to look at Cork to Limerick, which would get you to Galway, Waterford, Waterford to Cork, Waterford to Limerick. But if you look at the map of Ireland, there's very few links missing. Obviously, there's there's projects to link uh, Dublin to Derry, um, and there's an A5 project in Northern Ireland linked to an N2 project here in in the Republic, which would open up Donegal. You'd have achieved a lot if you put those missing links into place, uh, Dusty. I, I I think, and and the great thing I, I would focus about about um, motorways, uh, and we we'll probably come to it later, but motorways allow interurban buses to run uh, at high frequency and at predictable timetables. Uh, it's now very feasible and very practical to get a bus from Dublin to Cork or Dublin to Galway. And that's really supported by the motorway network. Do you think then that that's more efficient than trains? Um, I think it is. Uh, it's more practical than trains, but they're not They're not exclusive. Uh, one, one doesn't compete necessarily with the other. If you look at the train network in Europe, where trains travel at 300 kilometers an hour, now that, that, that's a step too far for us, possibly. But you could certainly travel at 200 kilometers an hour, and Dublin to Cork would then be, you know, a little over an hour on a train. That would be attractive. Uh, so there is a f- absolutely a future for trains. But the motorway network is there, and the buses are running on it, and, and they are getting, they're getting a lot of passengers. We're seeing a crossover as well in society at the moment, and it's specifically to do with motorways and, and road transport in that we're going from petrol and diesel engines to electric engines. How do you think that's going to affect transport overall? It'll be a, a big win for transport, um, without a doubt. Um, the fact that you know 95% of the carbon emissions on, in, in transport is from the operation of the scheme. The construction of, of motorways is a very small element of the, the carbon impact. The, the real impact is on uh, yourself and myself driving around in diesel or petrol cars. Um, now, you can see that the move towards electric cars uh, has, has taken hold. It, it, it's certainly there. Uh, I, I know that people who are looking 
who are in the market for a new car are certainly looking at uh, electric cars. And I think one of the keys to that, and I think we've discussed this before, is your ability to have a charge, a charging point in your home. I, I think leaving home with the expectation of finding a charging point someplace else is just... Uh, it, it's it's unnerving. Yes and no. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm sure with the early petrol cars, it was unnerving uh, leaving home <laughs> when there were no petrol stations. You know, so, so maybe we're going through the same thing. Uh, but you're right in that when you're looking at planning. I mean, for houses, it's not so bad because you've got a driveway, and Ireland is very much a, a housing kind of a country. But in the last twenty years, uh, we've become more and more reliant on apartment blocks and apartment buildings. Not so easy if you own a, an electric car. Is there any kind of retrograde works that can be done there, do you think, or what way should we be thinking? Oh, absolutely. And certainly all future apartment blocks, um, the expect- expectation would be that all all the parking spaces w- would have a charging point. Um, I, I think that's that that's a given. Retrofitting them? Dusty, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. Let me talk about uh, your own uh, personal career, Liam. Um, what was your experience from? Because you were very successful as, a, as an engineer and a se- senior engineer, and now you're the managing director. How did you go from, from working on the shop floor, as it were, to running the show? I suppose the career path was that J.B. Barry started in 1959 as a water consultant. A very brave thing to do to set up a, a design business in 1959. The country was very, very poor place in 1959. It was before T.J. Whittaker and Lamas started making the country look externally rather than internally. So we moved into structures uh, allied to the water industry. And then uh, we, we worked uh, overseas for a while. I worked myself in the 90s in Bosnia and Latvia and Albania worked in Gaza for a while and in Beirut. And I must say that that working abroad, Dusty, taught me a lot. You're in a different environment. We chased work in Bosnia in the early 90s, and I had no compunction to ring the minister for this or the minister for that, which is something I would never have done in Ireland because there's a structure and there's a hierarchy and there's things you do and things you don't do. So I learned a lot there. And when the road program started in 2000, we formed a relationship with a, a UK firm called Halcro, and we chased the roads market. And that's where I, I sort of moved from being involved in projects to, to chasing work in a, in a new sector. So, so that was the start of the move, maybe from being completely involved in projects to getting involved in the, in the marketing and was that something that came from somebody above who saw potential in you to be able to say, Graham, we want to take one of our best engineers here and we want them to get him in on the on the pre-planning stage with a potential client about what could be done? Or was it something where you said to yourself, do you know, I think I would rather be out talking to, to people and, and to get them uh, working with JB and to get new projects in for the firm? You know, all of these things, there's a lot of, a lot of luck and a lot of um, false steps and it's very hard to post-analyze it and it depends who writes the history as you know um like i might write it one way and other people might see it completely differently but actually what happened i suppose is that working overseas we we actually spent time looking for work as well as doing it so that gave me a, a exposure to that uh, overseas work came to an abrupt halt because one of our partners struggled financially and we were no longer involved in that and it coincided with the starting of the main interurban road network and it was quite clear that they needed they needed more people involved. They they were going 
possibly from spending 200 million a year on the road program to spending in 2007 they spent 1.8 billion so you you can't increase the spend without involving more and more people so there was opportunity there the market was growing i knew a couple of people in the market and the guys running the company at the time were happy to to, to let me chase it they they, they allowed me to spend a lot of time uh, chasing the market and at one stage did you say to yourself I think I could offer a lot as the managing director of this firm and I could bring the firm certain places and, and, and improve it. And did you make it your mission to say, I would like that job? Absolutely not, no. no. Um, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, I, I go back to what I said previously, like when there was 50 people, like it, 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 it's, more like, uh, it's more like a family than, than a corporation. And a lot of our competitors, Dusty, are, are large global companies. We have companies here in Ireland that have a presence all over the world. Uh, some of them have employee levels of 70, 80, 90, 100,000 people worldwide. So they run a, a very corporate affair. They have, you know, they have very identified structures, whereas 90% of our work is in Ireland. And as a result, the scale of our operation moves with the, the, the cycle of uh, expenditure in Ireland. Uh, and it's... Looks as if it's a 10-year cycle, I'm afraid. Speaking of the work that you're involved in, you're involved in a lot of disciplines. Is there is there any one that you're particularly busy with? The water design element and project management in the water space, which is water supply, wastewater, uh, collection and treatment, stormwater and flooding, that's remained a constant um, throughout the history of the company, and that's still very vibrant. And Irish there's changes in the market. Irish water, they're, they're actually using... Funnily enough, some ECI projects, early contractor involvement projects, going back to Cashel to Mitchellstown. So, so that's very vibrant uh, and consistent. The transportation sector, there's changes within that. We still have a lot of highway work, but there's a, a big move towards active travel and public transport, which is you know supporting the the, the climate change agenda and society is changing its its, its direction on transport. Uh, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And the younger generations will change it even more rapidly. And I, I suppose energy is probably the exciting thing at the moment, if you were to look at it. Um, uh, you know, the generation and distribution and use use of, of, of energy um, has to be the the most exciting thing that's going on at the moment. With the water, it, it must be disappointing when you're involved in large projects and working on large projects because water is usually hidden away and most people don't see it. You, you know, when, you, when you're out kind of talking to people, what would you love to scream at them to go, this is the project I did? <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes, I think sometimes, Dusty, you just have to accept that you're doing a good job and, and get some satisfaction from that. I, I know, come on, I'm, gi- I'm giving you an opportunity now to, to blow your trumpet a little yeah. bit. Come on, tell, t- <laughs> tell me one that you... you... Oh, well, okay, okay, if, 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 if you want to. Yes, please. We're involved at the moment. I mean, we, we, we've done a large number of wastewater treatment plants. Um, at the moment, we're, we're involved in the Rings End, the upgrade of the Rings End wastewater treatment plant, which is the water treatment plant for the, Dub- the greater Dublin area. So we're increasing the capacity of that plant dramatically. And that's an ongoing process. It's going to go on for, it has been going on and will go on for a total of maybe 10 or 12 years. Uh, it's an, an existing operating plant that's treating uh, a large percentage of the wastewater from the Dublin area. And We've teamed up with other companies. One of them brings a specialist uh, treatment process with it, which means that 
using the same footprint, using the same size of site, we can treat 60 or 70% greater volume of wastewater. Now, that's using innovation to drive great results. Keeping yourself up to speed, actually, on on, on changing technology and everything and, and processes, as you say, abroad uh, and things that are happening. How, how do you keep yourself up to date and stay current with the latest engineering trends? Well, I suppose one, one of the things we've always done from a very early age stage in the company is we've, we've formed joint ventures with international companies as required and with people with either if we need additional resources, it's one type of partner we need. And if it's a particular uh, expertise in an area, it's another. So the example would be Royal Haskoning DHV, who have brought the process to Ring's End. Um, we have a, a relationship with them. We have a joint venture uh, with them. Um, when we entered the roads market, it, it was the Halcourt Group um, from the UK because they had, they had uh, expertise in the roads market. They also had capacity. So we had local knowledge and a good reputation here. It's a small island here. Um, you know, if you have a good reputation, it travels from one sector to another, as you know. I'd love to ask you what is lined up for JB Barry over the next couple of years. Is that something you talk about or, or is it top secret? No, no, it's, it's, it's very clear uh, to me. I mean, it's been in the news for the last week, but it's been uh, top of the agenda for a while. There's been a lot of factors impacting on our business and on society at large, like Brexit. Brexit has created a, a changed environment. COVID obviously has a very significant impact on the way we think. Created an environment where a lot of change that mightn't have been possible is now possible, maybe. There's uh, material supply disruption driven possibly by the war, war in Eastern Europe. There's other factors in there maybe as well. There's a lot of political change in Ireland and there's going to be more political change. But the environmental issues and uh, climate action demands is really going to create a very exciting opportunity for engineers. It's all going to have to be engineered, the the, the provision of electricity, the uh, distribution of electricity, the uh, reduction of, of carbon emissions in all the sectors. I mean, you could see the political wrangling over whether it was 20% or 30% for agriculture and the impact on like, transport. Is it, transport is in there in a big way. And we're doing a lot of work there already, but it's, it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, let me ask you then. I, I'm sure you've seen that movie, Back to the Future. Yep. They filmed it in the 80s, but they were imagining what life would be like in 2020 or something like that, all right? And they actually got a lot of stuff right. The big screen TV and there were, oh, there were so many other things. I can't remember what it was, but I remember watching the movie like only recently kind of going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> so... In your own mind, looking 20 years ahead, what is Ireland going to look like? Well, that's a really good question, isn't it? Um, it's, it's, uh, and the only way I can imagine is by going back 20 years and looking at what I thought uh, Ireland would be like in 2020. And, you know, uh, did, I, did I see electric cars on the road uh, and the uptake of those? I didn't, absolutely not. Did I see the absolute conversion of everybody to the reality of climate change. I didn't see that. So looking forward 20 years, obviously there'll be bumps on the road, but certainly on this island, I think it's a fantastic place to live. I think we have an awful lot of things going for us. Being an island has a lot of advantages. It keeps you out of the way of a lot of things. Our, our climate our climate is better than you, you could dream for, I think, even though 
I suppose it gives us the opportunity to complain about the rain as well, which we like to do. We like to have something to complain about. But and also, like if you look at the growth in um, in, in wealth in the country, uh, which in itself probably doesn't actually make people all that happier, but that's well beyond engineering. Um, but like if you take the tax taken in, in in 1980 when I started in Ireland it was three billion a year, and and now it's heading for 80. You know, we're, we're a wealthy country. We don't have great historical wealth, but we have um, we have a vibrant economy. Uh, so I, I think the future for Ireland is is, is dramatically. Uh, I, I think twenty years time. I, I think it could be very positive. We have a, a housing shortage at the moment. Do you think that Irish minds are going to change about how we look at housing? Because traditionally, I, mean, I think it's going back to the famine. Okay, because people didn't own their own houses and they could have been thrown off the land, and uh, and it's been in the Irish psyche since. I must own my own home and it must be a home. Um, whereas that's changing lately. Do you think we're going to get to a stage where people will think about more communal ways of living, possibly with ways where they don't actually own the roof over their head, but they do have tenancy rights? Yeah, it's a very, very interesting question. And I think you've hit the nail on the head with the tenancy rights thing, possibly. Um, you know, uh, there are other models over ours and you go back to, our, our history and you're you're right. Our our, our history drives our, our our thought process. We like to own our own house. It gives us a security. It does make society uh, stable as well, maybe. But the French model, if if you want to go go there, uh, a lot of people have lifetime tenancies in in apartments, and uh, that that's another model. I think as generations move. Uh, you get change in people's approach. Uh, I, I've no doubt that we can change people's approach. We have a, a private client business, which is probably 20% of what we do. Uh, we probably at any one time have between seven and 8,000 residential units at various stages of development from pre-planning to in-planning to construction. Um, and we're not a big player in that market. Um, there are much, much bigger players here. So th- there are a lot of residential units uh, being developed, getting those through the construction. Some of the challenges I mentioned earlier, supply of materials, um, inflation may impact on the development of those. But I think you're right. The model of model of ownership is probably the biggest element of it. Now, you're after drifting me a long way from engineering now. Let's go back to putting blocks on blocks. That's exactly what I was just thinking. <laughs> I'm enjoying the conversation too much. Listen, I actually kind of was going to go back to transport because we, we spoke about the motorways. Yeah. But specifically in Dublin, because it's a growing city they're talking about, and they have been talking about a long time, about extending the dart and then the tram out to the airport. Is there anything when you look at that particular city that you think, I've got a good idea for that? Or what, what's missing? I, I, I think they're on a good journey. I think they're, I think they're uh, a good a good bit down the road. I, I, I think the phone the phone is probably the key to public transport, uh, for me anyway, uh, because you can see, you get access immediately to where public transport is. Uh, and if the bus is going to be at your stop in five minutes, you can see it. Uh, and that changes the game completely for me. You know, So the frequency of buses now, I'm fortunate enough, I, I, I live close to the M11, it's a quality bus corridor. We did work on, on that bus corridor 20 years ago, and the bus frequency is so high that you, you just rock up at the bus stop and get the next bus. 
gets into town just as fast or faster than I can drive it. So I, I, I think everyone uh, will convert to public transport. Now, th- there are weak spots maybe in the network, but there's a lot of work being done on it with bus connects. And obviously the Lewis is a success story. Uh, we're doing a nice project on the Lewis, actually. Uh, we're working on an extension from Broombridge to uh, Fingal, and that would bring you out to the M50 on the Green Line. Obviously, the Metro is a big project that's that's out there as well. How is that Lewis project going? Because you're going through some very highly populated areas. It's it's going really well. Yeah, it's going fantastically. TII are dri- driving the project. We have a team uh, in conjunction with a company called Aegis. We're a French rail company. And the project is a, a, what we now call a, a BIM project. Okay, so BIM is going from uh, ink, ink and uh, paper was in, in, in the 80s and 80s a moving towards computers and, and, and plotters. Um, in five years' time, we won't even mention the fact that it's BIM, but it, it is an interesting development of design because you can actually see, you can see conflicts at a preliminary design stage rather than at a detailed design stage. You have much more information much earlier on. Um, so it, it, it should improve cost efficiency on construction or will. But it's a higher level of design at an earlier stage. Are you using an existing rail track that is uh, going out towards um, Fingal or do you have to create a new one? No, it's a new one. It's a new one, yeah. yeah. Is that a big headache? Uh, it's a challenge, yeah. It's a challenge. But uh, I, I suppose a lot of schemes that we're involved in, certainly linear schemes like road schemes or public transport schemes, once you're on a new route, you're interacting with a lot of stakeholders, you're impacting on a lot of people's property, and we have a relationship with our own property, with private property. It goes back to what you discussed earlier, uh, and we have a lot of strong property rights, and I'm not arguing against that. Well, well that, that'll be for somebody else to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all about, it's all about uh, bringing a, a project through the process. You know, and I suppose if, if, if there was a challenge uh, in the process at the moment, is probably uh, getting planning can be, can be a challenge. The planning process is challenged. But again, it's a process you, you just have to go through and get there. Let me ask you about Engineers Ireland because it's a great organisation in that it's not companies that, that make up the organisation, it's people. And it's interesting to me to see that even people at the highest levels of business in the country are members. Um, I'm just wondering what's one of the most useful things that you personally have gotten out of being with Engineers Ireland? Um, Years ago, I I would have been involved, as I said earlier, in some of the international work. And um, we did some work in in Bosnia. And um, Engineers Ireland invited me to, to do a paper, which I did in conjunction with uh, guys from ESBI, and that drove me in a certain direction as well. It's, it's not uh, something that I would naturally hold my hand up for back in 1990 odd, um, but um, that opened up a, an avenue for me in describing what we were doing and the benefits of what we were doing and informing other people of the potential for us to sell things overseas. Liam Prenderville, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today on the podcast. Dusty, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. If you would like to find out more about what we spoke about on the podcast today, you'll find notes and link details in the show notes or description area of the podcast in your podcast player right now. And of course, you'll find more information and advance 
episodes on our website at engineersireland.ie. Our Engineers Journal Amplified podcast is produced by dustpod.io for Engineers Ireland. If you'd like more episodes, just click the follow button on your podcast player so you get access to all of our past and future shows automatically. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you so much for listening. Take care. Listener.